the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sorry, I'm not buying it. Maybe you've heard that the FBI has arrested a guy who, up until about 20 minutes ago, uh, was called a trusted FBI informant, and they charged him with lying about Joe and Hunter Biden taking bribes from uh, people in Ukraine with Burisma. This guy's name is Alexander Smirnov, and he said back in 2015, I guess again in 2017, that he had had conversations with people representing Burisma, and he said that they said that Joe and Hunter pressured them to give them $5 million each to make sure that Burisma wasn't bothered by a prosecutor, you know, looking for corruption. Hey, what do I know? Maybe the FBI has the goods on them, but problem here for me anyway is that uh, it's the FBI. If this had been, say, seven years ago, I would have said, hey, the FBI got their man, but I'm sorry. I don't believe anything anybody connected with the FBI says about anything, especially if what they're saying helps the Biden family or the Democrats, or hurts Donald Trump, for that matter. Why would anybody trust the FBI anymore? Apparently, Alexander Smirnov made lots of money from the FBI for being an informant. And they kept bringing him back for more information and paying him more money. Makes me believe, I don't know, I don't know about you, but it makes me think he was giving them pretty good information or they wouldn't be bringing him back and giving him more money. But for some reason, Alexander decided to risk going to prison for lying about Joe and Hunter Biden. And the Biden Justice Department decides to arrest him, you know, just as things are starting to get really serious in an election year. Hey, maybe it's all true. Smirnov has attorneys, and he apparently will actually get a chance to tell his side of the story in court. Until then, I'm not buying what the FBI is selling, not for a minute. When we come back, Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation will be here to see if he can find the fraud that the state of New York says Donald Trump committed. I don't think he's found any yet. And in our second half hour, there's a serious movement for term limits in the federal government that couldn't come too soon. As a matter of fact, February 27th is a term limit day. We're going to talk to the Pennsylvania representative for term for U.S. term limits when we uh, in our second half hour. So stick around. Well, ever since the uh, state of New York told Donald Trump he had to pay it over. Uh, $350 million, anti-Trumpers have been twisting themselves into pretzels, trying to come up with a victim to the fraud that he uh, committed, that Trump committed. Hans von Spakovsky is the manager of the Election Law Reform Center, and he's a senior fellow for the Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. He's also a regular guest on this show, and he's back. Thanks for coming back, Hans. John, thanks for having me. So have you been able to find any fraud? Uh no, I mean, that's that's the whole problem in this case, and that's the problem with the specific law, which is one of the most bizarre uh, statutes I've ever seen in New York, because 
that look in all other cases of fraud, uh, especially federal prosecutions, you have to show that someone suffered an injury. They were defrauded of money or property, you know, cash. Not true in the new with the New York statute. In fact, um, look, uh, all of the very sophisticated banks who lent money to Trump, they were all paid back. They all made a profit. And they all continue to do business with him. And yet, supposedly, he he committed fraud. I, I'm telling you, this is a this was an abusive prosecution from the very beginning. Well, it sure seemed like a case of guilty until proven innocent. Right. And there was no chance of that. I think people forget, you know, they had all this media coverage of the trial. The judge said that um, Trump was guilty before the trial started. <laughs> you know, the only purpose of the trial was to figure out how, how much, how big the penalty was going to be. And even the trial didn't really go the way the judge wanted it to because uh, Trump was able to bring in experts, including a professor, I think of accounting at New York University, saying that, No, there wasn't really any problem with the evaluations that were done of these properties. And that's particularly true when, again, these are sophisticated banks. They all did their own independent appraisals of the properties that secured these loans. And, again, they didn't have a problem with it. It's kind of like if I put my house up for sale for $500,000, and it's only worth three fifty, but somebody comes along and gives me five hundred. I haven't defrauded. I haven't committed any fraud, have I? No, you you haven't. And particularly because uh, that person who's buying it, the bank who's lending the money, are going to do their own independent appraisal. They're they're not going to rely on what you're telling them it's, right. it's worth. So there's no there's no fraud there. I, let me tell you, this law is so broad so vague, so open-ended that, in essence, it gives partisan prosecutors a license to go after anyone they don't like politically. And and if I was a CEO of of a business, I would not do business in the state of New York. I would not have an office there because if I speak out on political issues as a conservative, if I contribute to conservative candidates, Letitia James uh, the attorney general could could target me under this law, and if she gets a biased judge, like the judge in this case in Manhattan, and that's highly likely in the New York judicial system, uh, I, I could lose everything. Th- this is the kind of stuff that goes on in places like Venezuela. It's right. not supposed to happen in the U.S. Well, why, why wasn't there a jury trial for something like this? Well, that's the other problem with this. <laughs> you know, look, under the... It's too bad that the Seventh Amendment of the U.S. Constitution doesn't apply to the states because the Seventh Amendment of the Constitution quite properly, you know, says that in any controversy exceeding $20, you have a right to a trial by jury. Well, this involved hundreds of millions of dollars, and he doesn't get a jury trial. Again, that gives state prosecutors and biased Federal, uh, state judges the ability to go after anyone they don't like. So who who made who gets to decide that there's that, that a judge is going to decide it and not a jury? Well, that was the uh, state of New York legislature passing a very bad and abusive law. Oh, okay. And look, 
this and this look, this isn't the only kind of law, uh, abusive kind of laws they have in New York. You know, Remington, one of the oldest gun makers in the entire country. They've been in New York for over 200 years. You know, they're leaving the state. Yeah. Because because the New York legislature also passed a law making them liable uh, if someone uses uses a gun um, in, in an assault or something like that. Uh, they don't want to hold the person who committed the crime uh, responsible. As you know, the Manhattan D.A., Alvin Bragg, doesn't uh, uh, doesn't prosecute more than half the felonies that occur. No, no, no. It's. It's the gun manufacturer, but the the regulation of business there and the the liability is so bad that people are leaving the state. I I wouldn't live there and I wouldn't do business there. Uh, and they also, what was the um, the situation with the E. Jean Carroll um, lawsuit that they that they went and conveniently created a law or passed a law that allowed her to sue, even though it happened uh, uh, allegedly whatever it was, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, and that is another sign of how uh, they – look, standard law – we have statutes of limitations for a good reason. You know, uh, when something supposedly happened 30 years ago, uh, the claims of plaintiffs are unreliable. The claims of witnesses are unreliable. There's a good reason for that, and yet – what did they do? Yeah, the legislature passed a law. This was specifically intended to allow Donald Trump to be sued. All of these lawsuits, these prosecutions, are they have one purpose, to confiscate the wealth of Donald Trump so that he can't be a political candidate. I mean, that's what's going happening here. It's, it's really amazing, um, and it, but it's, there's nothing subtle about it. No, no, not at all. And and um, that that would to me it just shows how confident they are that they can do whatever they want because they're not there's not even any attempt to make it look like anything else. For example, the the amount that the judge came up with that Donald Trump has to pay did he jump the shark there and actually maybe make it more likely that Trump will win an appeal? Well, I would hope he would win on appeal because this is such abusive litigation. But look, I don't trust I don't trust the legal system, particularly the justice system in New York. Um, the The judges there are uniformly uh, Democratic appointees, uh, just like um, the judge Engeron uh, in this case. And I don't trust that they will actually uh, do the right thing here. I mean, look. The Bar Association in New York ought to be investigating Letitia James for doing something that I consider to be highly unethical. Remember, she campaigned on a promise that she would prosecute Donald Trump. Now, that means that she did that when she had no evidence of wrongdoing had not even opened an investigation, and that she says she's going to prosecute somebody, I consider that to be highly unethical. And yet, has the New York State Bar Association done anything about it? Why, no, they haven't. Uh, we're talking to Hans von Spakovsky. He's the senior fellow for uh, the Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Hans, why do they hate Donald Trump so much? 
Just well, it, because he had the nerve to not be a, a Washington insider and come in and become president, I, I just—it's stunning to me that, that what they're willing to do to prevent this guy not only from not being elected, for, but for from even having a chance to run. Look, this is uh, the the political hatred for him. I, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it before. Remember during. Look, when Bush was president, remember we 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 came up with the with the term Bush derangement syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they were calling we him Hitler. And, yeah, right. But the but Trump derangement syndrome is exponentially uh, worse. Oh yeah. And they they are afraid of him in a way I have never seen, and the hatred for him is causing them to abuse their law enforcement powers, and frankly, making us look like a, a third-world dictatorship. Yeah, and and um, I just wonder if it's more of a fear than it is a hatred, because there's really no reason for them to hate him as much as there is to fear him. Well, I think it's, I think it's both, although the fear may edge out, because of the fact that, you know, he, he's willing... He's willing to fight the mainstream media, and he's willing to do things like, you know, the one thing they just can't forgive him for is he actually tried to enforce our our federal immigration laws. Oh, yeah. what a That was a bad thing to do. Where, where does the uh, $355 million end up? Or it's actually going to be more than that. Well, it's going to end up in the hands of the state of New York. <laughs> and yeah, But <laughs> you might be able to be uh understand it if that if they were going to have an airlift and just throw the 355 million dollars out of a helicopter flying over new york city or something but who knows where that money's going to go oh it'll get it'll get wasted by the government but, but that goes back to the original issue normally when you prosecute someone criminally for fraud Whatever you recover goes to the victims, right? Yeah, yeah. To, to compensate them for the money they lost. But nobody lost any money. So this is just this is just a profit to the state government of New York, which I'm sure they will have uh, waste no time in spending it on all kinds of worthless uh, and wasteful things. Now, say if if Trump appeals this. And he wins an appeal. Uh, he he gets his money back with interest. I don't know about that. He does have to put up a bond, yeah. however, in order to appeal it. And I don't think the costs of a bond are are recoverable. Will Will Trump's uh, claim that it's election interference be any kind of a consideration in the appeal, or is it just going to come down to whether there was fraud and whether he got a fair trial and? You know whether yeah, just... yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be that. I I don't think the uh, appeals court will look at all in his election interference claim. It, it, they'll be looking at the statute. They'll be looking at whether he got a fair trial. And and given the personal digs in the ninety-two page opinion, um, I think they have to make a very big deal about the personal bias of this judge. And how long might this process take before we actually see an appeal going forward? Oh, I think he'll appeal it almost immediately. But how soon before an appeals court makes a decision could be many months. Yeah. So it's going to and and it also makes you believe that this is they don't really care if, if he wins an appeal. 
because the the point is is to have him on trial or uh, uh, during the campaign prior to the election. As long as they could get him in court, that's all they wanted, I think. And uh, they'd be happy to get a conviction, but um, it, the whole point was to prevent him from running for president or at least to make to be a major distraction. Yes, and that that they're effectively doing, particularly when you combine it with all the other prosecutions going on. Well, on another note here, if you don't mind, um, Hans, you spent some time working in the Justice Department. Uh, Can you really blame anyone for being at least a little skeptical of the charges that have been brought against the FBI informant Alexander Smirnov for lying about Joe and Hunter? Because I'm not buying it for a minute. I'm not saying it couldn't be true, but I've... I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I just don't believe anything that I hear from the FBI anymore. Does that make me a bad guy? No, it doesn't. Uh, you've got uh, you've got an inspector general's report, a massive one, uh, that was extremely critical of the FBI. You've got whistleblowers who, who, as you know, have talked about how the FBI tried to suppress the Hunter Biden investigation. So, of, of why shouldn't we be suspicious? Yeah, but the other thing about this uh, uh, with Alexander Smirnov, he's being accused of lying, um, but he was he was always referred to as a um, as a responsible and a believable and a trustworthy informant, and he must have. I get the feeling that they must have liked his information because they kept paying for it and bringing him back and asking him to get more, didn't they? Yeah, I think they did, and that's why I'm real interested to see what evidence do they have to um, support the, uh, the the claims they're now making against him. Yeah, now I just see something just came across. Uh, I just saw this here. The, uh, the judge overseeing Trump's Georgia case donated the Fonnie Willis campaign prior to, to appointment. Is, is that a big deal or... Is that going to matter? It sure, it sure is. I think that means that he should have recused himself from the case. He shouldn't even be on it. That, that to me, is an ethical violation. Were you aware of that, or is this a, is this a breaking no. news? It says, no, this is breaking news. I had no idea. It says, Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee, who's overseeing the case against uh, Donald Trump, made a small donation of $150 to Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis's campaign prior to his appointment. appointment. So uh, I guess they have that. So is, is that, is, is that, does that case have any chance of going anywhere at this point? Uh, well, we're now waiting on that, uh, that very judge to make a decision on the very serious ethical and other claims made against Fannie Willis. And there was, uh, there's enough evidence to sustain it. I, I think of this judge does not take her off the case, doesn't take uh, Nathan Wade off the case, that will be a very substantial legal mistake. Well, it's a great time to be alive. (laughs) This stuff is going on. It's just (laughs) unbelievable. I appreciate you coming on the show. As always, good to have you. Hope to have you back soon. Thanks for having me. Okay. That's Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation. I'll be right back. So have you noticed that there are a lot of really old people calling the shots in Washington, D.C. lately? Uh, Over the past few years, there have been a lot of walking, talking advertisements for term limits. And in case you didn't know, next Tuesday is kind of National Term Limits Day. 
John Eichelberger is a former Pennsylvania state senator. He's one of the Pennsylvania state co-chairs for USTL, that's U.S. Term Limits, and he joins us now. Uh, John, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. So, Ron DeSantis, this is where I, I noticed you guys. I, I saw this story last night. I wanted to get somebody from your organization on. I saw this uh, last night. Ron DeSantis made some news yesterday, I guess it was, when he was in uh, South Carolina. He showed up uh, to, and asked people there to join him in a call for a constitutional convention. And uh, that is, uh, I guess, the first step in getting term limits. It could be. Yeah, if Congress would uh, act on it, we wouldn't need to do it that way. But, um, well, we would still need to do it to get a get an amendment to the Constitution. But they could act on it themselves. If they don't, um, the states could force uh, a convention to act on uh, a, an amendment for term limits for, for Congress. So how would that process work? How, how, how can the states force it? Well, um, the, the states would pass resolutions asking for a term limits uh, amendment to the, to the United States Constitution, and uh, it takes two-thirds of the states to propose that. So right now we have six states that have done that. We have a lot of states that are in a the process. They either have bills introduced or it's been through one chamber of their legislature and waiting for approval in another that, that kind of thing. It doesn't take the governor's signature, so it just takes the legislature to act. And what often happens, it has happened a couple of times in the past, and it happened when the president's uh, term limits were put in place. Uh, that's why next week is National Term Limits Day. That uh, celebrates the passing of the uh, constitutional amendment that limited the terms of the president. Um, what happened in that case was that the Congress failed to act, and uh, there was a, a groundswell of support for it. So the state started to pass resolutions. And once they reached a certain number, Congress thought, you know, we better get on the ball here and do something, or they're going to control it. So they they approved it themselves. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so that so this was over FDR thinking he was going to be president right. for life. Um, this this um they they the threat of the states doing it forced the congress to say okay this is going to happen we may as well do it ourselves right right and so that yep. could happen again right that can happen again uh it's you know the latest pew survey is even higher than what it has been and i think it's because of what you said in your introduction there's there are now some high-profile and have been some high-profile elderly statesmen in Washington, and I think people are seeing that. We see it with the presidential candidates, and we see it with people in Congress. So uh, they're, they're a little bit more aware than they normally are. But we've, we've been polling at about 80 percent across the board. The latest Pew poll shows 87 percent of Americans uh, support term limits for Congress, 87%, which is an astonishing number. And it, and it cuts all uh, through all parties, uh, independents, everybody. Uh, the numbers are very high for every every party. So, um, but the, the people in Congress don't care if it's 102%. They're not going to vote themselves out of office. That's pretty obvious. If you see somebody like Nancy Pelosi and uh, Mitch McConnell, 
I mean, Mitch, Mitch yep. McConnell is, is standing there in the middle of a press conference, and he spaces out. Uh, that's if if you're if you're working as a crossing guard, you know they 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 tap you on the shoulder and say, Mitch, really, thanks for coming, but you know uh, we're kind of we're we're really more concerned with the kids here getting run over by a bus than we are you being happy in your job. And he would leave, but they're not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah, I, well, we just had a vote here you know, a couple of months ago in the House, and it lost by one or two votes in a committee vote. So, I mean, there's a lot of truth to what you say. It's, it's, uh, they don't seem to want to do it for sure. Well, that's, uh, that's what we, I'm no, – sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say there, there's an effort on uh, Yestern Limits Park and, and others to, to – we get people to sign pledges when they run, and we have a lot of pledge signers in Congress – uh, but a lot, of, and I think a lot of them would would uh, stay true to their pledge. But they, if they don't get an opportunity to vote on it, that that'll you know won't really matter. So the the real action is is to get states to one by one fall in line and pass these resolutions. That's that's where the that's that's where the realistic threat will, will be. And then Congress can act. And if they don't, then the states can just fall through and and uh, force the convention. That seems to be the only way that makes sense to me. I mean, you know more yeah. about this than I do, and that's that's the approach you're taking. But I, I, just looking at these these people, Nancy Pelosi and and uh, and uh, Joe Biden, for that matter, he was in the Senate about 25 years too long. Um, they're not they're not going to vote themselves out of work. They they don't have any interest in leaving. So it, it seems to me the only way to do it is by the states. Yeah. I, I think it's the only realistic way. Yeah, they're they're just not going to do it unless we get a lot of people in there that you know have a different frame of mind. But we don't get large numbers of new people. The, the turnover is not that great. It's not as much to me anyway. Uh, I don't think it's about age. I'm not in favor of an age limit. Um, if you're 95 years old and you're capable of doing the job, I'm I'm okay with that. I just don't want you doing it for longer than I don't know what's the number. You know, uh, it's 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 like it would, you, and you, that would and ahead. that would be determined at the that would be determined at the time. So, uh, but but typically what they're looking at is three terms is what often is said for House members mm-hmm. and two terms for uh, United States senators. So that would be twelve years in the Senate at the most and six years in the House. That yeah. that's. As a typical conversation, that can change, but somewhere in that range. So you're looking at ten or twelve years for um, somebody at the most would be would be in office in Washington, and that's that's a long time. Um, I was in the state senate for twelve years, and uh, that's that's a sufficient amount of time to be to be in public service in a position like that. You know, your your ideas are out there. Um, you've tried to shape things the best you can, and. Uh, you know, you reach a point where, you know, how long do you want to stay? You know, so you can stay a long time if you want to, usually, but um, I, I don't know if it's really beneficial to the public to have people there for too much longer than that. We're talking to John Eichelberger. He's uh, the Pennsylvania co-chair for USTL, that's United States Term, Limit, Term Limits. So as you said, you were a senator, John. Um, what does that do to the dynamic uh, you know what it was like to be in the Senate when somebody arrives there and knows that they only have t- uh, the most they can get is two terms. 
What does that do to the way they operate and the way they approach the job? Well, I think it would it would uh, accelerate what their uh, you know what their ambitions are they, if they uh, have certain goals they want to meet. Uh, you know, uh, critical legislation that they want to champion. They, they've got to start on it. And uh, the, the, one of the problems we have with legislatures is that seniority rules all the time. And you you know, just because you've been there one day longer than somebody else doesn't mean you're the best person for that job. You mm-hmm. might not be the best committee chair for, you know, any name of committee, finance, transportation, labor and industry, a lot of important things that happen in a legislature. Uh, If you're there a day longer than somebody else, you're going to be chairman of that committee is a rule. Um, So, and and depending on how the legislatures work, and of course the states are a little different than the feds, but there's a lot of control uh, with chairmanships, with leadership positions, uh, and there's there's a lot of uh, implied power with seniority. So, it someone that's been there for a long time has an undue amount of authority uh, that isn't always good. So we we need the turnover. We need the fresh ideas. Um, it's interesting that lobbyists are as a group opposed to term limits because they like to have people that they have that close relationship with that they've known for a long time and they have more sway with people. Every way you look at this, having long-term people is not advantageous to the citizens of this this great country. Now, what about the states themselves? Um, Will there be some accusations of the the, the pot calling the kettle black because – there will be people who may be in a state legislature for long periods of time uh, involved in a movement to shorten the length of time for the federal legislation, legislators. Right. And that's um, a fair point that some people will face. Um, uh, you know, I don't know that it will be the focus, I think, unless maybe the media makes a focus. Uh, it, it's it's a different group. It's federal government. Um, we did it for the president. Um, we can we can do it for the Congress. In fact, at the time um, when uh, when FDR uh, Truman was in after FDR and uh, after he died, Truman was a big champion of term limits, and he wanted it for the president and he wanted it for Congress. And they did come through then and do the uh, presidential term limits amendment, but they didn't, they never did the, the congressional one. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different structure and so on, but I mean, I was an advocate for it when I was in the state legislature for us, for the state mm-hmm. legislators and uh, just couldn't, couldn't get it off the ground for exactly the reasons you said. It's very difficult for those people that want to be there forever to, to vote to, to uh, you know, shorten our terms. I even, my last version, and I tried several versions, my last version, my desperate attempt at the end was to grandfather in everybody that was already in office. So yeah. everybody was there, didn't have to worry about it. You know, just vote for it. If you think it's a good thing, vote for it, and you can stay for the next 20 years, but still couldn't get the votes. Well, what was the typical argument you got for not doing it, aside from I kind of like it here and don't want to lose my job? Well, the... the um, 
institutional knowledge, you know, that's always a phrase that you hear. Uh, We're going to lose all this institutional knowledge. What you'll have left is staff people running the country, running uh, the the, the state, in in my case, uh, my personal experience. And um, that that just hasn't been the case where they've had term limits. They – Staff, there's a lot of staff turnover. Staff are usually pretty loyal to somebody. They oftentimes come in with somebody, and when that person leaves, they, nobody else picks them up where they, they decide they're not going to stay and work just for the for the institution itself. Um, it, it, you know, you have some people down there that have experience that work in different committees maybe, and they're, they're there because of their professional knowledge, not necessarily the political strength they they help with insurance or banking or medical issues or something else you know that that they have experience in and um some of them kind of come and go uh depending but they're they're usually not real political anyway they're just trying to get uh good legislation for for industry and uh so i i I never really bought into that argument and i don't think that's very valid either so um, the, the, but those are the big arguments. The institutional knowledge, what happens if everybody leaves, and then you'll just have staff people and lobbyists running everything when we, when we get out, and that that isn't uh, ever shown to be the case. Well, what, and that's that's the reason that they give. But I'm just wondering, you you spent uh, you say 12 years there. Um, what what happens when somebody mentions those two dirty words, term limits? Do you get a dirty look? Yeah. There's a lot of people that really don't like it, and they, and they don't want to face that because they know it's popular. I mean, you know what Ronald Reagan said: if you have a if you have an issue that's that's polling at eighty percent, and you just stand next to it and smile. I mean, you know, if eight out of ten, in this case, it's almost nine out of ten people think, yeah, we need to do this, um, and you go back home and say, I'm opposed to that. That's a that's not a popular thing to do. So they don't want it. They just just want to avoid the issue. So I, I think, I mean, there's no better time than right now in our history, given the presidential candidates, the Nancy Pelosi's and the Mitch McConnell's of the world and lots of other examples down there. Uh, we really need to, to, to get people involved in pressuring the state legislatures to uh, approve legislation. We, we have bills introduced in Pennsylvania. Um, they, they, there's one in the Senate, there's one in the House, there's one by a Republican, there's one by a Democrat. It's a bipartisan issue. In Pennsylvania, you had mentioned that I'm one of the two chairs. I'm the Republican chair. Andy Deniman, who is a former Democrat senator from Chester County, he's the Democrat chair. No. And we served together, and we were friends when we were in the legislature, and here we are working together on this issue. Um it's not a partisan situation. We, we, you know, we have a lot of agreement across the board. To, for we have a lot of examples across the board for both of our our parties that we would think, oh boy, it's time for that person to go. And uh, we, you know, now's the time to do it. I, th- I think people are seeing with Biden and Trump both being older, and uh, Pelosi and McConnell and some issues with them. Just, just it, 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 there's no more. Uh, there's no better time than right now to get get things done. So, I, I, people like you, uh, if we if we can get some more uh, a, a bigger voice on this, um, we I think we could, we could do it. Because how do people go back, go back home and say I'm against this when you know that eighty eighty seven percent of your constituents are for it? 
Well, I got an idea for a billboard. You have a picture of Mitch McConnell and um, Nancy Pelosi and uh, two words, well, actually four words, five. Seen enough with a question mark and then vote for term limits. That That's that's. And to me, and you'd have 95% of the people who see it would agree with you. So real quick, yeah. what, what's going to happen on the 27th? Well, there's um, a lot of activity around the country. Um, we're trying to get as much uh, out there as possible. We're doing some media interviews. We're, we're doing op-eds around the state and newspapers. Um, in Pennsylvania, this is happening all across the country, though. Just trying to get people informed so that they know that, you know, this is an option. And um, it's a safe option, it, and it can be done. It's the, the founding fathers put this into the Constitution, knowing that the federal government would, would not always address their own uh, shortcomings, and it would be up to the states to call them on things and make sure that the, the general public was better served. So this is a way to do it. So if we can get get that done, and, and uh, there'll be some ceremonies, places, and things, and, and just... Uh, they're, they're, people have term limit buttons. They have, uh, you know, we're encouraging people to put things on our Facebook pages, everything they can so that we get the word out and people say, oh, that's that's a great idea. Let's, I'm going to talk to my House member or my state senator and, and see if I can push them to get involved, co-sponsor the resolution, that kind of thing. Hey, John, I'm out of time. Uh, good luck with the movement. I'm behind you. And uh, anything you need, uh, give me a call. I appreciate it. I thank you very, very much for that. Thanks for your time today. Okay, thank you. That's John Eichelberger, and it's U.S. Term Limits. I'll be right back. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk about uh, term limits there. And one thing, we, uh, John Eichelberger made a, a quick mention of the media, hoping to get the media interested. I, that's something that I don't understand. Well, maybe I do understand it because most of the media are liberal and most of the media love big government and most of the media love what's happening in Washington and they love Nancy Pelosi being around for 40 years. But I, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody just in an interview with Nancy Pelosi just kind of spring it on her. Hey, Nancy, how do you feel about term limits? You've been here since 1956 you think maybe it's time for you to get out? I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't have to say it that way, but um, why aren't they ever asked about it? Why doesn't somebody ever ask um, Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell? I'm, I'm talking about somebody in the media and in a situation where they ha- make them where they have to uh, give you an answer. Hey, uh, just just wondering what your feelings are on term limits. The polls show that 75 or 80 percent of the people out there think that people have been staying too long in these jobs, including you, by the way. Uh, why? That, that, I don't know. That seems like a pretty legitimate and interesting question to ask of these people, and I would love to hear them answer it. But, you know, good luck with that. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.